glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. But anyway, it's good to be here with you folks this evening. I'm going to ask you if you would please to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I guess I'll turn this speaker on. It sounds like the other one's working, but I'll turn this one on here. I don't know if there's a difference, but... Anyhow, First uh, Corinthians 15, I, I, uh, I spoke at Sunday school last week out of the first half of this chapter this week. Maybe you all did as well with Resurrection Sunday. But I want to deal with the last verses here and look at them a little bit, try to look back as I was thinking about this resurrection chapter and then, uh, and then thought about these last verses, some of the, my favorite verses in the Bible here in verse 57 and 58. I'm not sure. Do you folks stand on Wednesday night to read your Bible? You all stand? I'm not sure. You just stay seated. Yeah, let's all stand together then and read our, read our opening passage here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 57, familiar passage. It says this, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so let's pray together there and we'll look at these verses together. Our Heavenly Father, it is a blessing to be in your house here on this Thursday evening with the folks at Bonners Ferry Baptist Church. Thankful for them and I thank you, Lord, for this portion of your word. And I pray that as we try to look into it, attempt to preach from it, I pray you would enable me and give me power, Lord. And I humbly ask, Lord, because... Apart from you, I know that I'm nothing, Lord, and I pray that you would you'd fill me with your spirit and use me at this moment, and uh, I could say a word that could encourage and help your people this evening. Do pray for Pastor Neil and his family, that you bless them as they're away and use them. Lord, uh, we pray for your, heart, your, your work at our hearts to prepare us for what you have for us. Please bless according to your will. In Christ's holy name we do ask. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for God's word. And uh, anyway, this caught my attention as I was praying, reading through this, like I said, 15th chapter. I spoke on Sunday school last week out of the opening, the first several verses of chapter 15 and read the whole chapter and got over here to the 58th verse. And, uh, you know, Paul is giving this strong admonition at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, an encouraging word in the close of his letter. And I like what he, I like what it says. Beloved brethren, it's, it's, he's using some words of endearment and he tells them to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as they know their labor is not in vain in the Lord. And if you know anything about the book of 1 Corinthians, you know it's mainly a book of correction. Mainly it's a book of dealing with their problems, correcting things that were wrong in their life. I'm glad that he put this verse in here because this is a very encouraging verse and you know, we need both, don't we? We need correction and we need encouragement. We need things to help us to stay at it. We need things to say, whoa, you need to get back right where you belong. And and uh, Paul is writing them. You know, Corinth had a lot of problems. They really did. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, they had a, a lot of problems. As I was reading 1 Corinthians, I was thinking, this may sound weird, but I'm thankful they had the problems they had because the apostle was able to write to them and correct them, and therefore we have the book of Corinthians. And not that we sin and grace may abound, but we do have to remember that troubles in our life can be used of the Lord to encourage and help others as God corrects us and use us. So I'm glad that God corrects us. Thank God, you know, thank God for church, you know. And 
getting together, preaching of God's Word. Thank God for His Word. He can correct us in church during preaching. He can correct us in our own Bible study time. And He can correct us during times of uh, just prayer and times when the Holy Spirit can convict us in our hearts. And I'm thankful that God gets us back where we belong, aren't you? That, that He can guide us in the way. You know, repentance is a way of life for the Christian. God says, uh, nope, you're off track a little bit there. You need to go this way. You're off track a little bit there. You need to move over this direction. And it really is the life we live. I mean, we constantly are turning a little to the right hand. And God says, no, that's turning a little to the left hand. And the Lord has to correct us. And Paul has been correcting, but then he gives these words of encouragement. And uh, the fact is that these words are written in our Bible tells me that it's a real thing that can happen. That it can be that we can lose or move from our steadfastness, right? We can become movable, right? And we can get to the point where we're not abounding in the work of the Lord. And it can be that we can think that our labor is in vain in God. And the fact is, there, that everybody in this room, y'all are at church on Thursday night. And I know that Thursday night church people recognize, of all the folks, you guys are staying at it. You are steadfast. You are attempting to be unmovable. You are trying to abound in the work of the Lord. But you know, like I know, there is a pull in this world, isn't there? It's trying to get us to be to lose our steadfastness. There's a pull that's trying to get us away from a, a, a place of a, a, our unmovable place in Christ. There's a pull in the world that's trying to keep us from abounding. It's as if we're working. It's as if there's current in this world, isn't there? There is. It's a. It's a. There's a pull. There's a current that's trying to cause us to be worldly or be carnal or to think the way the world thinks and to uh, move away from where we know the Lord has us. And plus, we have an enemy. There's Satan, and he's always tugging at us and pulling at us through the things of this world. And, uh, you know, we know that there is a pull in this world. And the funny thing is there's actually a unique temptation in the life of a Christian. One of the young people that, that trusted Christ recently in our, in, in our church plant uh, he, I could tell he was discouraged one day, and I said, you know, what's going on? And I could tell he's just only been saved a few months. And, and I could tell it was like this because I can relate. And I said, I know what you're t- dealing with, and it's this, that you've never experienced the trials that you're experiencing now because it's not that life is harder now as a Christian, but you recognize life now as being a trial of your faith. You never had a trial of your faith before. You just did your life, and if a challenge came your way, you're like, whatever, that's life, that's the way it works. But now you recognize it as a pull on your faith, a trial of your faith. And the fact is, friends, we have trials of faith. There's things that want to pull us and want to move us from our steadfastness. And otherwise, the Lord wouldn't have to write this in our Bible, would He? We need to be stirred and reminded to be steadfast, though, and unmovable. The Apostle Paul here to the Corinthians uses this Positive and negative. He says, be steadfast and unmovable. It would be like if I told my kids, be good and don't be bad. You know, it's kind of redundant. It may, but it, you, sometimes you have to say, be good and don't be bad. Do that, but don't do that. That's what the apostle is saying to his audience here. He says, uh, he says, be steadfast. That's what we ought to do. And be unmovable. Don't move away from where God has you. And, and uh, to be steadfast and not carried about. You know that God would not have the child of God to be carried away and carried about and be unmoved and be, be uh, uh, unstable in this world, though the world wants us to be unstable. And Satan is certainly trying with all his might right now to get people to fall from their steadfastness. His goal is to try to move and, and uh, move us from, move the goalposts and move the signposts. But friends, we have an unchanging God and we're not to change. Remember what he said in the book of Ephesians? He said that we, we have church, by the way. We have pastors and teachers and, 
and uh, for the edifying of the, uh, what is it, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the, now I missed the verse, I should have wrote it down. I got a Bible here though, let me look it up. In Ephesians chapter 4, and he talks about, uh, for the perfecting of the saints, there I just got it, for the work of the ministry, that we be not carried about with every wind of doctrine, he talks about that, that we wouldn't be moved away, that we would have good, sound Bible preaching from a teacher or preacher and the fellowship of God's people in the church so that we would not be carried away with the wind of doctrine. There is uh, all kinds of different winds of doctrines in this world, isn't there? All the time, all kinds of weird things going on. And the Bible says that the Christian ought to be steadfast and unmovable. You know what he's saying? Stay faithful and don't change. Stay faithful and don't change. You know, again... You know, people are changing all over. We've only been Christians really not that long. It was 12 years ago I trusted Christ as my Savior and got into church and started to learn. I'm very thankful I got into a Bible-preaching church immediately and started to grow in the Word. Now, I had a seasons where, season at the beginning of doubt where God had to bring assurance into my life where I had to find out, why am I a Baptist? Is it just because I got saved in a Baptist church and they told me this is right? Is that all it is? And I went through a time where I had had to search out for sure, is this really true? And I've come to the conclusion, I searched out everything I could find about other religions and other things, and I came to a place of assurance where I realized that, yes, the independent Baptist church that believes the King James Bible truly is the New Testament church you find in Scripture. It really is. And what kind of a God would it be if He gave us a hundred versions of the Bible anyway? That's not the kind of God I want to serve. I want to serve a God that's a true and living God that just gave us one version of the Bible that changeth not, don't you? And so anyway, a little bit of uh, study and a little bit of uh, uh, research brought me to the place in the Spirit of God leading me. Very thankful, though, that I found an independent church, Baptist church. And now, by a conviction... I'm assured that I'm in the right place and believing the right things. And now I have to hold fast to that and be steadfast and unmovable and not changing. And, but did you know people are changing? As I just said, I just mentioned in our introduction here that uh, at one point in time, Athol Baptist Church was a sound Bible-preaching church. Well, what in the world happened? Well, little by little, they changed. Little by little, somehow somebody decided, I don't know, wouldn't it be a weird Sunday if we decided to move this over here and get a little high chair instead? Wouldn't everybody be a little weirded out by that and be like, wait a minute, I don't know how the movement happens and I don't know how the change starts, but somewhere it start, usually starts with the music, by the way. And, but the Lord's saying here, don't change, don't, don't change anything, be faithful and don't change. But people are changing and I pretty much just, I was thinking, I'm really just here to echo what I've heard Brother Neil preach every time I've heard him preach. The fact is, is every time I've heard him preach, he's told us don't change and don't quit and don't move and don't give up and, and don't change the ways you're doing things. And, uh, you know, I'm going to say this. If it was ever right, it's still right. If it was ever right, it's still right. God doesn't change and truth doesn't change. If it was right in America, you know, people think, oh, in the good old days, in the good old days, back in 1950 in America. Remember? If it was right in 1950, it's still right in 2022. If it was right 2,000 years ago, it's still right today. If it was right when Moses wrote it down 4,000, it's still right today. Truth is unchanging as the God that wrote it. He is the author of truth. Our God never changes. And you know what the fact is, though, friends? There's a temptation, as I said, a pull in the world to try to get us to change. People never change when things are going well, by the way. People change. People don't quit church when everything's coming up roses in their life. It's not the time they quit church and change things in their life. People don't get divorced when marriage is just going great. People make those changes when things aren't going well. When things aren't going the way they thought they would go. When faith really needs to be exercised is when people change. 
And there's times where God allows things down in the valley with my Savior, I shall go, were you just saying? There's moments in this Christian life where we go down in the valley with our Lord and He expects us to live by faith. It's not always going to be. There is seasons. Listen, there's times in the winter where you go out and look at these trees and you're like, I'd just assume say they look dead to me. I can't find any life. But just in a couple weeks here, spring's going to spring forth a week. And you're going to say, wow, look at all that life. And there's times in the Christian life that it feels that way, that I just don't see the fruit. I don't see the life. And that's not the time to change. Stay the same. My wife and I have made a commitment in our marriage and in our life. We're not going to change a course that we set in clarity with prayer and the counsel of God's people. If we've set a course, we're not going to change it in times of difficulty, in times of storm. I would suggest if you haven't made the same commitment to do the very same thing. That's what Paul's telling these folks here. He says, don't change. He says, uh, uh, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then I think most Baptists, we can get a hold of this be steadfast thing. I mean, hold the fort, for I am coming, Jesus signal still. And we can say, yes, hold fast, don't change, don't move. But then he goes a step further and he says, but you've got to always be abounding. More and more growing. Not only not changing, stay where you are, but you're to be growing in grace. You're to be abounding in the work of the Lord. And it means going on. It means more and more. In Philippians, this is what Paul says. He says, and this I pray, Philippian church, this is what I'm praying for you. This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in the knowledge and in all judgment. So abound and more and more. They mean the same thing. Exceedingly, exceedingly is the words that are being used there. Exceeding and growing in grace that we are to abound more and more. You know what the Christian life, what God would have us to live is a more and more life. Isn't that something? That we're to be more, we're to be a better Christian tomorrow than where we were today. That's what God would intend for us to be as God's people. That we'd be living a life of more and more, not less and less. I think sometimes we think, well, it's just, you know, the world's waxing worse and worse and where it's getting worse and worse out there and we're just less and less. God says, no, I would that you'd be more and more for the glory of God. Remember what he said in Hebrews? He said, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Not less and less. We're to assemble together so much the more. We're to do church so much the more. We're to stay faithful so much the more as we say, see the day approaching. And so uh, it's a more and more life. Just, and I think I've lived this way all uh, too often. Just, just if I can just hold on until Jesus comes. If I can just not make a mess of things until the Lord comes. I don't think that's, you know, yes, we should pray that we could finish with clean garments. But the fact is God would have us to be living a life of abundance more and more, that we would be living uh, abounding in the work of the Lord. Again, that we would be a better... And then he says this, always abounding, always abounding. I don't know about you, but I have seasons in my life where I think, okay, I'm abounding a little bit. He said he would always have us, always abounding. And so more, a more and more life, better tomorrow, more. I mean, are you a Bible student? More and more. Be more and more. Are you a person of prayer? More and more. Are you faithful to church? Be more and more. Are you in the ministry in church? Be more and more. And give more of your life. And have, do you love your family? More and more. Are you, you see what I'm saying? And God, God is saying through the Apostle Paul to the church in court, don't change. Don't quit. Stay faithful. Live a life of more and more. Give more of your life to the Lord. Make it an abounding life. Gain more ground. I was thinking, you know, okay, we're in this current. We're going against the grain. The world's against us and the devil's against us. By the way, Christ is for us. We're going to, I think that verse is in here in a minute. 
Christ is for us, but we are going against the current. It's pulling us away. And the Bible says that we're to be gaining ground. See, I think, if man, if I could just paddle hard enough just to not go downstream, I'm good. He said, I want you to do more and more. I want you to gain ground. I want you to move up the river. And so we're to be gaining ground. Remember, this is what Peter said. He said, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness charity. And if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, make these things abound. Add them to your life more and more. Are you doing the, the work of the Lord? Praise the Lord. Do it more and more. Are you, are you serving God? Give it more. Give it more. If there was ever a time, friends, we ought to give more, now would be the day to do that. And so for as much, and then he tells us this, for as much as you know, I like this that he says, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. By the way, if he had to write that, you know what that means to me? There's coming days in our life where we're going to say, and this feels vain. Are you sure this is worth it all? I don't know if you guys have ever had that kind of a feeling, but the apostle is obviously alluding to the fact that you may feel at times along your Christian walk and your Christian journey that you're wondering if it's worth it all, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He wants to remind them the work you're doing for God, it has purpose. Our, my wife homeschools our girls, and there's days that it is discouraging, and now we're seeing fruit from that and those sorts of things, but there's times in life where you don't even see fruit. You know, I think this, the Christian life is a life where you sow obedience, trust and obey, trust and obey, and then somewhere down here you reap some blessing out of that obedience. Sometimes we don't reap the blessing until life eternal, though, until we see Jesus face to face. This is a life of faith, but the fact is, is uh, we are to obey the Lord and recognize that it's not in vain. And so these are connected. I hope this doesn't go way too long. I feel like, but we'll just get, we'll plow through as fast as we can. Because that was just the, 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 this is just what we're to do. And I'm going to give you the reason why here. And so he connects it all with the word therefore. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, do these things. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I was thinking about that word, therefore. We all know the old saying, you know, if you see the word, therefore, find out what it's there for. And obviously it's connected to verse 57, the victory we have through Christ Jesus. No doubt about that. But I believe that that verse 57, but thanks be to God, but means it's connected to the rest of the chapter. It means it's connected to the thought before it. It means this, that is a conclusive statement of all. And really, if you'll study it, it's all of chapter 15. Chapter 15 is a new subject from the book of Corinthians, what's been taking place. You'll read the book of Corinthians, you'll find out chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14 are dealing with spiritual gifts. And you get to chapter 15, and he's finished the, 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 his, his, uh, what he's written about spiritual gifts, and he says these words, Moreover, brethren. That means, I want to add this too, this also. And so Paul says, this also I want to say to you. So he's got a new subject in chapter 15, and we know that he makes a declaration of the gospel, and then he writes some of the most wonderful words concerning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You all remember? I don't know. Did you guys study those on Resurrection Sunday? I'm not sure. But he gives an argument that becomes obvious that the church in Corinth was doubting the resurrection of Christ. There was people in the church that had made light of the resurrection of Christ. There was people in the church at Corinth that got to the point where they're just like, yeah, this whole church thing is cool, you know, and it's nice to be together, and it's a blessing to have fellowship, and... Uh, 
you know, it's just a better life and I can put my little fish sticker on my bumper and I can hand out my business cards at church and that's what the church at Corinth had become. And Paul says, hey, if that's all this is, that this is, back to this, what I just said, this whole better life now thing, hey, Christianity is more than just make your life better now, by the way, friends. It's much more than that. But if that's all it is, Paul said, hey, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then all this is vain. Our preaching is vain. Our life is vain. Our faith is vain. And you're yet in your sins. And so he makes that strong argument through the book of 1 Corinthians. There's a, and so he makes the argument, but he gets to verse number 20. He says this glorious verse. He says, but now is Christ risen from the dead. As if to say, here's the facts. Here's the declaration. Christ is risen from the dead. And so you read through the rest of chapter 15. You find out the first thing is that woven all through the chapter 15 is the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the therefore in verse number 58 is because we serve a risen Savior. I'm to be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as I know my labor is not in vain in the Lord because Jesus is alive right now. We just celebrated His resurrection last Sunday. And then you're going to find all woven through this chapter is that Christ is returning again. You guys remember the verses. He talks about this in verse number 28, I think it is, in verse number 24. Then cometh the end when he, shall give, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And then if you jump over to uh, verse number 50, these familiar verses. Now this I say, brethren, that, the fl- that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That happens when God raptures, the word rapture is not found in our Bible, but the word catching away to be caught up together with him in the air is found, and that word, but anyway, uh, caught up together, that, what Paul is describing here is the return of Christ when the church, when God's people are caught up to be with him in the air. We're changed in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, we're changed to be like Christ. And so, woven all through this chapter is the return, the doctrine of the return of Christ. Why am I to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord and know that my labor is not in vain? Well, I serve a risen Savior. He's coming again. And then the last thing is, is that he deals all through this chapter of the resurrection of the just and the unjust. I'm going to be put back. If I die, if Jesus does not come again, I'm going to, our preacher says all the time, I'm going to be put in a pine box right here and you guys are going to play slow music or whatever. And that's what's going to happen. I will be dead, but the Bible says that I will be resurrected back in this body, this I always tell the folks at church, when we all get to heaven, everybody's going to be five foot four, or I'm going to be taller, one of the two. But, um, and so I'm going to be put back in this same body, resurrection of the just and the unjust. And so that's the motivation that Paul gives us in the 15th chapter all through there. Again, I feel like this is going to get long, and so we'll just plow as far as we can. But you guys hanging in there okay? I think, prayer time, I think they said 8 o'clock prayer time. We took a long time on singing, though, and so... But uh, I'm kidding, of course. I'm just joking around, but uh, we didn't. I appreciate the singing. But here's the fact that the Lord wants to give us here. He says, be steadfast, unmovable, don't change, don't quit, abound in the work of the Lord, give it more and more. Your labor's not in vain because Christ is alive. And that blesses me when I think about it. And we think about this. Do you know that the risen Christ, it's not like he just rose from the dead, ascended back to heaven, and that was it. He has a ministry right here, right now, tonight. He is still working in the affairs of mankind. 
We, know, we all understand that here tonight. But the Bible tells us that he's seated at the right hand of God. Again, it's not like he's just sitting down relaxing. That is a picture of his work of intercessory and mediating work that he does on our behalf. We have a mediator in Christ Jesus. Uh, let me read to you Hebrews chapter 7. He said, But this man, Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. He can save anyone, and he keeps them saved, by the way, because he lives forever. That cometh unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. So he says, we have a risen Savior that ever lives, and because he ever lives, he keeps us saved by the grace of God. He is able to keep us he is, he, we have a living Savior that's able to... I'm glad tonight that I'm not holding on with all my might to the Lord. Paul says you need to be abounding in the work of the Lord and be the steadfast and unmovable because you have a risen Savior. You're not having to hold on to Him. He's holding on to you. Stay. I would say this risen Savior is the reason we can stay steadfast. He's the reason we can stay. He's holding us. You remember what Paul said? He said, I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I'm glad that we have a no-so salvation. And I'm glad tonight that it's not a creed that Paul was holding on to or was holding on to him, and it's not a creed that I'm holding on to or is holding on to me. I know in whom I have believed. He's a risen person alive today. And so we have a sure salvation tonight, friends. The reason we ought to be steadfast is because we're saved and we know it. And he keeps us with his everlasting arms. And then I like this, though. The Bible speaks of Christ ever living that he makes intercession for us. He said that in Hebrews 7. The fact we serve a risen Savior, we recognize that he's praying for us right now. Did you guys know that? The Bible says inter intercessory. We know interceding is praying. I don't know if that blesses you, but it blesses me. I know this. It blesses me when I know folks are praying for me. When I, when I hear, you know, that, uh, that Bonners Ferry Baptist Church is going to pray for our first week service. And I think praise the Lord for God's people that will pray for us. And praise the Lord when God's people pray for my family. And I'm thankful when my wife, pray, I hear my wife that she prays for me. I'm very thankful for that. Thankful when my children pray for me. And that's a blessing to me. My mama prays for me. And I know my church at home prays for me. My pastor prays for me. But it could be there's a day where they forget to pray. I hope not. You all better pray. You should pray for me. There could be a day my wife forgets to pray for me. It's just not on her mind, maybe. I don't know. My kids might forget to pray for me. My, my mom might forget to pray for me. My pastor, I just might not be on his heart. But did you know that I'm always on the Savior's heart? And you're always on the Savior's heart. And he is making intercession. The Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. I can stay steadfast here tonight because I have a Savior that's praying for me. Listen to Romans 8, 31. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Remember what I said? I said the world's against us. It's pulling against us. fact is they can't even be against us because we have a Savior that's for us. Who can be against us? He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed 
all the day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depths, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We have a Savior that's living tonight. I'm going to stay at it. I'm not going to change and I'm not going to quit because Jesus, I'm able to do that because I have a Savior praying for me. I think it was, I heard a quote one time, Robert Murray McShane said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I wouldn't fear a thousand enemies, but distance makes no difference. He is praying for me and he's praying for you. You can stay steadfast in this crazy, backwards, upside down, wicked world because you have an ever living Savior. He's alive. That's the argument Paul makes. And then there's this. He says, you can stay steadfast. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast because Christ is alive. Because you're saved. Because he's alive. Because he's holding on to you. And then he, he talks about this media. He, he talks about him being a media. Him being alive means that we have a mediator. We have access to the Father. Not only is he praying for us, but we can go to him in prayer. We can approach the throne of God because we have a risen Savior tonight. The Bible says this. We know in... Uh, the book of Timothy, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. By the way, there's not five ways or four ways or three ways or two ways to God. There's only one way. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the way to God. The only way to talk to God, have a, have a relationship with God, have peace with the holy God of heaven is through the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, Jesus Christ is on the right hand of God mediating Making peace between two relationships. That's what the idea of mediator is. I can go to God. Listen, you know, we don't have a dead religion. We have a true and living God that we can speak to the true God of heaven right here, right now, tonight. That is a great blessing. And it would be good if it caught us a little bit and got a hold of us. Because the fact is there's religions all over this world attempting to try to get a hold of God and they can't. They have no access to him. They go to through. Aren't you glad you don't have to go to a phone booth and go to a priest and talk to him and go talk through the little hole in the wall or whatever it is they do? We can go to God and God says we can actually go into the presence of God that the way has been made open through the veil, which is his flesh. The Bible says the way into the holy place. We can speak to the holy God of heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have access to God where we can cry. The Bible says cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. We can be that close to God tonight because we have an intercessor. I can go into the presence of God. I remember hearing uh, Charles Spurgeon preach. Uh, no, I didn't hear him. I, that'd be weird. Wouldn't it? I remember hearing a sermon, reading a sermon. or hearing, That would be weird. That'd be funny. But anyway, I remember hearing a uh audio sermon of him, somebody reading his sermon, or, or, or maybe it was a book on him or something, but he used the illustration of a little boy that was in the, in the palace at Wales, and the little boy would try to find a way, and a little boy came one day to the, to the palace to see the king of Wales, and tried to get into the king's palace, and at the front door there was uh, two guards standing there, and he went to the door, and the guard said, you can't come in, little boy, there's no access here, the king doesn't want to see you, and so the little boy went to the back door, and knocked on the back door, and no one would open, and it was locked, and he went to the window, and it was closed, and he couldn't get in, and with tears in his face, and his little muddy face, a man walked up to him and said, son, why are you upset? He said, I just wanted to see the king today, and he said, well, take my hand, I'm going to see the king, and he took the little boy's hand, and wiped the tears off of his cheeks, and went to the front entrance, and the double door swung wide, and the Two 
a guard stepped aside and they walked down the corridor into the king's palace, into the king's presence and said, Daddy, I have this boy that wants to speak to you. And the little boy said, wow. Into the... And you know what the fact is? And he would illustrate that and be saying this. That was us without Jesus. I tried to get to God through the front door of maybe good works and religion and it was blocked and locked and there was guards and you can't get in. I went to the back door of baptism and church membership, couldn't get in and went to the window and tried and tried and there was no access to this God of heaven. But Jesus Christ took us, took us by the hand, friends, and walked into heaven's glory and the gate swung wide open and we can go right into the Father's presence and say, Daddy, Father, just like that little boy he said. And so I like that. Don't you like that? That's the access we have to God. Why should I stay steadfast? Why should I be unmovable? Why should I stay at it? How can I stay at it? Because I have a Savior. I have a Savior that keeps me saved. I have a Savior that is praying for me and interceding for me. I have a Savior that gives me access to the throne of God. So that's a good reason to stay steadfast, isn't it? Unchanging, because we have an unchanging God. Then Paul says this. He says, therefore, brethren, because... Jesus is coming again. I'll just be quick about this, but you know that Jesus is coming again. I believe soon. You all believe that? Pretty soon. It's happening. It's, everything is, is uh, pointing toward the fact that Christ is coming very soon. I know this. Today is one day closer than yesterday, and tomorrow is one day closer than today. I know this, that my Bible teaches an imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know this, that it could be any moment. And Paul says this, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. In one moment, everything's going to be different for the child of God. The Bible teaches us that this is an inevitable thing. It's the next thing on God's calendar that God is going to catch His people away from this world, this wicked world. I'm looking forward to that day. And if there was ever a truth that should cause us to be steadfast and not drift with this world and not change with this world and to stay the same and be faithful and abound in the work of the, God, uh, work of the Lord, it ought to be the fact that Jesus Christ and His return is nearer than it's ever been. I hope you believe that this evening. The Bible teaches us to be watching and waiting. It tells us to look. That's an active thing to do. Maybe I'll just ask you this tonight, friends. Did you, did you think about Jesus coming back today before I just mentioned it? Have you thought about the return of Christ today? I think this would help us. And any time I preach on this or see it in my, my Bible study and God convicts me of it and He asks me that question, have you been watching for me? I try to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be intentional about watching for the return of Christ. I wonder if it would change some things in our life if we were intentional, if we said, today, this moment could be the moment. I don't know, who's, I don't know everybody in the room well, but I don't know if you, are you ready to meet Him? Because the Bible says this, that he that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, this hope of the return of Christ. I think one of the reasons Christians don't live pure lives these days is because they don't consciously wait and look for the return of Christ. You know, when we were all kids and we knew Dad was coming home, we were like, better get things straightened up and ready. So we need to think that way with our Savior. He is coming again. I would suggest to you, friends, to tomorrow, today, he could come tonight, by the way. He's not on American time schedule. I mean, it could be dark, you know, uh, 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 Opposed to what all the songs, some, some bright and cloud this morning. I don't know if that's really going to be the case, but probably not in North Idaho. Well, it's pretty clear here, but not in some places. It's just cloudy all the time. But listen, I'm telling you, it could happen at any moment. Are you ready for Christ to come again? Are you ready now for Him to come again? Is there sin in your life you need to have confessed? Is there a person that you should witness to that you haven't witnessed to? Is there an area in your life where you haven't been as steadfast and unmovable as you should be and maybe you've moved a little? Is there an area in your life where you have 
not been abounding in the work of the Lord and there's an area where you've said, I've just quit a little bit and laid off a little bit because I feel like my labor's in vain and I just don't know if it's worth it all. Paul says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the trump of God, the dead in Christ are going to rise and we're going to be changed, incorruptible. And we will never, listen, friends, we will never have a chance to live by faith again. We'll never have a chance to witness to our neighbor again. We'll never have a chance to, to, to just trust the Lord and launch out and do whatever it is He's called us to do. We'll never have that opportunity again. That'll be it. Now, it'll be glorious. We'll be face-to-face with Jesus. But from that day forward, we'll never again have that opportunity. And so, are you watching for Him? I, I read this quote also. I liked it. You are an incomplete Christian if you're not looking for the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be incomplete Christians. Whoops, got that. We'll be incomplete Christians if we're not looking for the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. He told us to be looking for that blessed hope. Friends, look up. Your, rege- your redemption draweth nigh, the Bible tells us. If you're not saved by the grace of God tonight, today would be the day of salvation because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. The Bible says when, when Christ appears for His own and catches us in the clouds, the seven-year tribulation will begin. And those, I, I just... Believe the Bible teaches those that have heard and rejected the gospel will fall for the lie of this of the devil in this world and will not have an opportunity to be saved again. The return of Christ. He's alive. We have a risen Savior. We have a returning Savior. Number three is there is a resurrection of the just and the unjust. If you'll read these chapters, take time to read them. You'll find out he talks about the saint being raised again in his body. You'll, talk, you'll see that there's the unjust being raised again in his body. If there was ever a reason... To be steadfast, it would be this one here. In other words, this life is not it, you guys. This life, we know this as Christians, right? But we don't always live like it. This life is not it. There is a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Both the saved and the lost will be put back into their body, the Bible says. The saved will be resurrected and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will give an account of the things we have done in this body. Not, we won't give an account of sin. Sin was judged in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Glory to God. I dealt, you cannot get saved after death, by the way, just so everybody knows that. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You must be saved in this life. Those who are saved in this life will be resurrected. Whether If they die, they'll be resurrected when Christ comes. If you're alive when He comes, you're going to stand. And during, I believe, during that seven-year tribulation, you are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says every Christian will give an account of what he has done in this body as a Christian. What he's done with his faith. What he's done with the Word of God. What he's done with his opportunity. How he has lived this Christian life and stand and give an account of what he did with the salvation Christ purchased for him. We will, we will kneel before the nail-pierced feet of Jesus Christ and give an account what we did with the salvation that our Master purchased for us on Calvary. My sin, again, my sin was judged on the cross, but I will give an account of salvation. You know, when we kneel, can you think of this really quickly before we're done, that we will kneel next to people like the Apostle Paul at the judgment seat of Christ, who was bruised and beaten, imprisoned, hated, for the gospel's sake. And we will be in heaven with him. I don't know about you. But the Bible says that day is going to be a day that people are going to be ashamed of. And I have a feeling in my life I'm going to say, I wished, I wished I would have gave more. I wished I would have been more steadfast. I wished I would have been more unmovable. I wished I would have abounded more and more. I wished I would have labored more because it wasn't in vain. We're going to be standing next to people like John the Apostle that was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, the Bible says, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
Men like Timothy that was beaten to death by a mob in Ephesus, according to the martyr's book. Like William Tyndale, who worked tirelessly to translate this blessed book that's on your lap this evening and was persecuted sorely for it and burned at the stake for his faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to stand next to those kind of people. So when the apostle says this, be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, the therefore is because you're going to be alive again when you die. After you die, you're going to, see, you're going to be resurrected and you're going to give an account. And you know what? I am free to preach. Friends, we live in America. I am free tonight to tell any soul I want about the Savior. I have never been beat up for giving someone the gospel. I've been maybe smirked at funny a few times, laughed at a little bit. I have never been hated and thrown out of any place, never been had my life threatened necessarily. And you know what? Shame on me for not living a better Christian life with the, with the opportunity God has given me. How can I say, how can I even use a word like sacrifice when I think about, you know, I read all kinds of history and think about the people that gave their all. David Brainerd literally prayed and, and preached himself to death, rode his horse until he, he was 29, I think he was 29 years old, gave his, really gave his whole life for, for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Savior suffered for us. We're going to be standing in the presence of people like this. We're going to live again. Paul says, be steadfast, church, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, we're going to live again. Job said this, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall, uh, 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 and, and that he shall stand at the latter d- uh, day upon the earth. And though after my skin were worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another though my reins be consumed within me. That's a good motive to live for God, isn't it? We're going we're gonna to live again. This life is not it. Contrary to what this world tries to tell us, this life is not it. The Christian life really is not even a here and now life. Yes, God blesses here and now. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. The fact is the real Christian life is being lived for hereafter. That's really what we're living for. Paul says, you're... Jesus is alive. He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. He's keeping you saved. He's your mediator. He's coming again, and you're going to be resurrected from the dead. The last of all, and we'll be done here, is this, that there is a resurrection of the unjust. In Revelation chapter 22, or excuse me, chapter 20, we know those verses that talk about that there is the great white throne judgment. Chapter 20, it says in verse number 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in those books. By the way, that's a day of judgment. It's a day of justice. This whole world's crying for justice, justice, ju- we want justice. God says this will be a day of justice. I want mercy. I'm thankful I have mercy. On this day, there will be no mercy, the Bible says. That's not a day of mercy. It's a day of judgment. And God says that he's going to judge every man according to what's written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which was in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Did you know what our Bible teaches us? You guys all know this because you're under good preaching all the time. Did you know that the Bible teaches us that hell is a holding place. It's a prison. 
Hell is not the eternal abode of the damned. Hell is the temporary abode of the damned. Those who are lost without... By the way, damned in the Bible is those without Christ. Jesus said, if you believe in the Son, you're not condemned, but whosoever believeth not in the Son is condemned already. This world has the idea that somewhere down there I'll be judged and I'll be condemned. You're condemned already if you don't have Christ tonight. And the Bible says the place called, the Bible describes as hell, is a temporary holding place, a prison, where the damned souls go until the day of judgment. The, the rich man that the Bible talks about in the book of Luke has been in hell tonight aware, the Bible says, consciously aware of his presence and of his feelings for 2,000 years now, and he will be there for another 1,007 years at least because if Jesus comes tomorrow, there's seven years of tribulation and 1,000 years that he reigns on this earth before this great white throne judgment. Then death and hell will give up the dead. The men in the book of Acts that rejected the preaching of Paul, Agrippa, that said, he said, uh, thou almost persuadest me, Paul, to be a Christian. Do you know that there's a lot of almost Christians in this world? Do you know that there's Baptist churches with almost Christians in them all over the place? They think, well, I'm King James only. Listen, on that day, it's not going to matter if you're King James only or Baptist. That's not going to get you to heaven. The only thing that will is being washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Having His mercy, being forgiven by His grace. That's the only way to have favor with God is through the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, there is Baptists all over. They're almost persuaded. And then the other man, Festus, in the book of Acts said, I'll just find a more convenient season to hear you, Paul. And the fact of the matter is you don't ever know if you get another season to hear the gospel. I tell folks all the time when I'm preaching, we'll never preach this sermon again. This night will never happen again. This setting will never happen again. The Spirit of God may never come by your place again and convict your heart again. It may never happen. We all think, well, I'll just deal with that tomorrow. Well, maybe, maybe not. Same with even Christians in sin and the things that we think, well, we'll just deal with that later. Well, maybe not. And the place that the Bible talks about is hell is a holding place. And those men that rejected the gospel have been there 2,000 years and they'll be there another 1,000 until the day they're put back into their body and judged at the great white throne judgment. Can you imagine that? And if anything sobers me to the fact that I have a job to do for God, it's this fact that the people I know, and do you know who's here on this day? Normal people. People that live in Bonner's Ferry are here on this day. Good people. Religious people, people that carry Bibles. And like I said, even some Baptists that didn't trust Christ as their Savior will be there on that day. Do you know what the Bible says on that day? Jesus said that there'll be deceived people on that day. Do you remember in Matthew 7? He said this. He said, they're going to say to me on that day. He's looking forward to this day. On that day, they're going to say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many wonderful works and cast out devils in your name? And he's going to say to you, I never knew you. And friends, the Bible warns us to examine ourselves and see whether we be in the faith. And I don't know who I'm speaking to, and I, I actually wrote this sermon today, believe it or not, and I don't know why all this ended up in here, but I know this for a fact, that if this scene should cause us to do anything, it should, number one, cause us to say this, Lord, please shine the light of your spirit in my heart and see whether I be in the faith, because I don't want to be deceived in religion I don't care if it's good religion, Baptist religion. I don't want to be deceived in religion and think somehow that I'm going to meet you on that day deceived and wonder if I was only but religious and never had the Savior. Because the Bible says in that day many shall say. He said just before that in that passage, few will enter in there at the straight gate. So the first thing this scene should cause us to do is say, Lord in heaven, have I experienced true salvation by the Lamb of God? Have I truly been born again? Have I had the life of God in me that witnesses to the fact that I'm a child, a son of God. Do I, have, do I have salvation? Am I born again? 
The second thing it should cause us to do as the children of God is say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, that you've shown me mercy. Thank you, Lord, for showing me mercy. And it ought to cause us to do this, friends, to be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor's not in vain in the Lord. And I don't care if people laugh at you or mock you or think you're funny if you hand them the gospel. I'm telling you, if you'll keep this, it's hard. I, I'll be honest with you, it's kind of a hard life to keep that scene in your mind at times. It is. But Paul says this, Therefore, brethren, therefore, my beloved brethren, because you serve a risen Savior, He's coming again, and the resurrection of the just and the unjust is going to happen. And so be steadfast. I don't know how that might speak to your heart. I don't know if you're weary and well-doing tonight. Maybe you've thought, I just am getting along with it. I would say, just put a little pep in your step and say, Lord, give me some more energy and some more strength and some more courage and give me some revival that I can keep on going until you come again because I know you're coming again. I serve a risen Savior. You know, He has grace abundant that it never runs out. You come get fresh grace anytime. Maybe... You're lost without Jesus. You've been in church. I don't know. I don't know, friends. I know this. There's, there's people that sit in church all the time that don't know Christ personally as their Savior. And when you talk to them about a personal testimony, they say, well, I've been, I got baptized or I went to church or I have this or did this or did this. I would wonder if you'd examine your heart tonight and say, Lord, am I a child of God? And then praise the Lord if you are. And maybe you've lost sight of the soon return of Christ and you'd say, Lord, I'm going to be specific about remembering to Watch for your coming. I'm going to look for someone to try to witness to. And so I don't know how the Lord will speak to your heart concerning those things. But be steadfast and unmovable. Never change. Never quit. Keep on going. Abound in the work of the Lord. Your labor's not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Mm-hmm.